We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. The World Series starts tonight, as does the NBA season. Have we ever seen anything like this Patriots defense? Sam Darnold seeing ghosts. It is Tuesday here on Home and Home Radio.com. Sports Original brought to you by ZipRecruiter. The smartest way to hire, try ZipRecruiter for free. Right now it's ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. Big show for you today. Kevin Millar from MLB Network joins us in the 8 o'clock hour to preview the World Series. Is this the best pitching matchup we've ever seen? Mike Jones, USA Today in the 9 o'clock hour. He talked to Lamar Jackson and witnessed him firsthand. What surprised him? Matt McGloin, XFL quarterback, former Penn State guy you all know. And Kendrick Perkins closes us out in the 10 o'clock hour, former Celtic star, Says, what's going on with Zion Williamson? Should we all panic? Six to eight weeks, the big fella is out. What does it mean for the NBA? I'm Dave Briggs, home in Connecticut. Ross Tucker, home in Pennsylvania. Breaking down another historic and dominant effort by this Patriots defense. It was ugly early, 33 to nothing. The Patriots are plus 175 in this 7-0 start. Ross, good morning to you. We start with Sam Darnold, who was mic'd up for this game. And don't you ever get mic'd up playing the Patriots. Don't do it. He will never shed this label. I promise you, never. T-shirts will be made. Ghost will be in the stands the next time he plays in Gillette Stadium. Explain to the audience what Sam Darnold was or was not seeing. Right. Well, it's funny, Dave, because, you know, we like when we have access, right? We like when we get a chance to hear what these guys have to say. I even thought it was interesting earlier in the game on his first interception. He said to the guys, hey, that's on me. I need to be louder to tell them that 58 was the Mike linebacker that he wanted them to to pick up. And by the way, he was plenty loud. It was a mental error by the right guard, Brian Winters. And I give Darnold a lot of credit for taking responsibility when it wasn't on him. It was on his offensive line, but he wanted to, you know, I think he just wanted to keep things positive and say, I got to be louder, even though I screamed for you to block that guy and you literally didn't block the guy I screamed for you to block. I need to be louder. That's on me, guys. And seeing ghosts is an expression that quarterbacks use in particular, but I've heard other players say it before, coaches, when you're just not seeing things clearly, you're just not seeing the field very well, you're not seeing things right, you're seeing ghosts. He obviously wasn't really seeing ghosts, he just wasn't seeing the field all that well. But if you look at it, Dave, I mean, they had guys coming free a lot, and Darnold, rather than you know, throwing the ball away or taking sacks was trying to make plays, throwing the ball off his back foot. It wasn't very smart. It didn't seem to me 
Like they had very much of an answer for all of these blitzes. And by the way, it wasn't complicated, Dave. What they did is they came with what you call cover zero, which is man-to-man across the board, and then you bring one more defender, then the offense can block. You get a guy to come scot-free, and you got to make him pay if you're on offense. You have mm-hmm. to have an answer. The Jets didn't. They couldn't, so the Patriots just kept bringing it. And in the end, Sam Darnold, 11 of 32. 86 yards, four interceptions, another fumble for five turnovers, and a stunning 3.6 quarterback rating. I didn't see the ghost. It seemed a bit simpler. And Adam Gase seemed to reiterate the same thing. All right, we'll stand by for that. We do have Adam Gase, the head coach of the Jets, essentially saying, I don't think they were disguising that much. Look, I was home on my couch, so I don't know what it's like facing arguably the best defense of all time. They were bringing the house each and every time. Yes, from a coverage standpoint, I'm sure it varied. But look, most of this night was on Sam Darnold. He was not picking up the blitzes. He did not know what to do with it. He was throwing every ball, I thought, off of his back foot, not stepping into anything, throwing balls up. Uh, I mean, It's amazing. This is the same kid that beat the Dallas Cowboys a week ago. Again, greatest defense we've seen in modern history, arguably. But isn't an awful lot of this on Darnold himself, Ross? Well, the throws, the interceptions, and the fumble, that's all on him. That's all on him. He is ultimately responsible and the guy with the football. Now, I will say this. I disagree with Adam Gase. Like, even even the fumble by Darnold, which really just helped to snowball things, they brought two linebackers from the left side. Those guys really bluffed. They really just came to engage the left tackle and left guard so that the Jets slid the line that way. You have to account for those guys. I mean, if they're up there, you have to account for them. So they slid, and every Jets blocker had their Patriot and then a guy came free off the edge, that to me is disguising. I mean, they're doing a good job of bluffing on the left side and then bringing the extra guy from the right. So they drop those guys out, but by then it's too late. So I I thought they did actually do some disguising. But then after that, to your point, Dave, it was a lot of cover zero. We're just going to bring one more guy. I don't put it all on Darnold, though. The throws, the interceptions are on Darnold. But how do you not have more hot routes or site adjustments or more answers from a coaching perspective. He can't throw those balls. He can't throw it off his back foot like that. He's got to throw it away or take a sack or whatever. But I didn't think it looked to me like Adam Gase provided him with very many answers because when they did bring the extra guy, Dave, it didn't look like there was anywhere to throw the ball. Yeah, yeah, I, you're right about that. I just, several of these throws, it looked like a quarterback having given in to what he was facing, throwing the ball up, in particular, the the interception he threw in the end zone. I think it was in the second quarter. There wasn't the Jets receiver within five yards of that football. Now we do have Adam Gase explaining uh, what he saw from a blitz perspective. It didn't look like there, there were a handful of times where it didn't look like the Patriots were disguised. I mean, they were just... No, it's there. There is no disguise. It's, I mean, they're telling you what mm. they're doing. So what? 
mean, how Jeez. discouraging? How can you fix it when they're just saying, "Hey, this guy's blitzing"? And yeah, it, it, it gets tough when when they go all their little guys and try to figure out who's doing what, who's covering who, who has the tight end, who has the back. It just they can get tough sometimes. And why do you guys have so much trouble with the blitzes? Well, I mean, we'd be one of seven teams that's had trouble, or I guess six since we played them twice. You know, we just. We didn't pick anything up right. We screwed up on some some of the mic points. We didn't honor some of the mic points. They got there a little quicker than than we got rid of the ball. I mean, we just we didn't do anything right. At least he had answers for questions because Adam Gates had no answer for anything Bill Belichick threw at him. Let's let Sam Darnold explain what he saw. In this case, he was seeing things that weren't there. Sam, yeah, ESPN caught that um, seeing ghost comments. Are, are you, how do you feel about that? What did you, what were you thinking then? What can you share about that? Yeah, you know, I think, I think for me, I just gotta, you know, just uh, when I when I talk to the coaches, I just gotta be, you know, straight up. And you know, for me, um, I just gotta see the field a lot better. That's kind of what that means. And um, you know, just it was, it was a rough day out there, rough night out there. And obviously, I gotta be better. And learn from the mistakes, uh, but we we will get better. Got to get a lot better. Cover of the New York Post this morning, a pretty easy one. Boo, as Sam Darnold is seeing (laughs) ghosts. So let's turn to this Patriots defense. 18 interceptions, Ross. That is more than the Saints, Lions, Texans, Raiders, Bengals, Falcons, Cardinals, and Dolphins all combined. They've allowed 30 points. This defense has allowed 30 points last eight games, and that includes a Super Bowl against the Rams. Have you ever seen anything like this in modern times? I'm a little older than you, so I certainly remember watching a lot of 85 Bears and, of course, 2,000 Ravens. Have you ever seen anything like we're seeing right now? You know, it's interesting, Dave, because it feels like they're most dominant in the secondary, like on the back end, you know, you know, when I remember the Ravens and the Bears, the Bears, it just feel like they just destroyed quarterbacks every single play, just blew everything up, you know, with that defense, the 46 defense, everybody up on the line of scrimmage and teams had no answer for it, which I guess is kind of like how the Jets, in, in my mind, I guess, Dave, the 85 Bears, Looked like the Patriots did last night every game. Just guys running in the backfield, blowing people up, etc. I don't feel like that is the hallmark of this Patriots team. I feel like the hallmark of the team is really the secondary. And I can't remember another defense where they were this dominant and the strength of the team was the secondary. Even for the Ravens, you know, you had Ray Lewis... And uh, Peter Bulwer, uh, Michael McCrary, you know, you had a lot of guys in the front seven that were probably the most dominant players. They did have Chris McAllister. That was, of course, before Ed Reed was a member of the Baltimore Ravens. But this is the first one I can remember where the defensive backfield is this dominant. Devin McCourty and Stephon Gilmore in particular are playing unbelievable football right now. And it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun to see a a, a defensive back dominated defense that can be this good. 
Yeah, I think Stephon Gilmore is the number one corner in football right now. And I looked at it historically thinking, I don't remember this kind of shutout type dominance. So I went back and looked at the 85 Bears and looked at the 2000 Ravens. And in fact, it is different in that the 85 Bears allowed more points in week one than the Patriots have allowed this season. The 2000 Ravens allowed more points in week two than this Patriots team have all season. So you could argue from a point standpoint, they are far more dominant than the 85 Bears or 2000 Ravens. And again, that's in terms of the points they are not allowing. They are absolutely wrecking opposing offenses. Let's hear from Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. That was a good start. It was a good drive. And uh, anytime you can go, I don't know, seven or eight minutes, whatever that was, uh, put the ball in the end zone on the road, kind of gets you a good feel. So uh, good to get a win. Three division road wins. That's pretty sweet. And uh, try to have a quick turnaround. Get ready for Cleveland. Tom, does your defense continue to just amaze you each and every week when they go out and get shutouts like this? They're playing great. It was, it was, they're just playing great football. They're doing a great job. They cover rush, stop the run. Um, Make critical plays, so they're they're just it's awesome to watch. Always good to win a division game on the road. Um, thought that uh, you know our guys were were ready to go today. Um, got off to a good start. That was a great opening drive. Um, seemed like took up most of the first quarter. Um, you know had some had some turnovers on defense. Um, good complimentary football all the way across the board. Offense, defense, special teams. A lot of guys contributed tonight, uh, which is what you need um, for a good. Good division win on the road. So, um, you know, got to give the players a lot of credit. They played hard. They played relentlessly. And, um, you know, we're able to, to make some plays early in the game and, um, you know, play, play pretty solid for 60 minutes. So, short week, quick turnaround here. I'll have to get going on Cleveland in a hurry, but um, always, always good to win a division game on the road. So, as revealing as it was to hear Sam Darnold say, I'm seeing ghosts. Perhaps the most revealing moment was not saying a word, a shot of Bill Belichick on the sideline and that smirk about the closest thing you get to him breaking out an enormous smile. He was enjoying every second of devouring the New York Jets. And now, I mean, they get better. They even get better. And by the way, they were mentioning that opening drive, 16 plays, 8 minutes, 47 seconds. It was a Mike Tyson punch in the face they get better this morning with some breaking news that they have traded for Mohamed Sanu wide receiver from the Atlanta Falcons they give up a second round pick which probably falls around to the 60 range given how high they ought to finish is this a good deal Ross and and how much better does it make the Patriots offense does he fit in right behind Julian Edelman now as a number two option for this offense well, he's a very good player, and he certainly fits the Patriots' mold because he's versatile. He can play inside in the slot. He can play outside. He's very physical, a very willing blocker. He's excellent run after the catch. He's from Rutgers. We know how much the Patriots love Rutgers players. By the way, can we talk about <laughs> yeah. that for a second? Is it Please. not weird to you? that the best NFL team of the last 20 years loves getting players from the worst at Power 5 yeah. FBS program. Like, how is it possible that that is the case? I mean, I'm, I'm like blown away 
that they have that many. I think they have like six Rutgers guys on their team right now. Need a millennial to look that up for me. Millennials, get on it. Millennials, unite. Get on that one. Let's go, millennials. And yes, let's go. Come on, crack the whip. You're not living in your parents' basement anymore. You got to start paying some bills, millennials. <laughs> Dude. But this I, I, but it, it this is, sounds but, like but, a Ross Tucker column. Yeah. And you tell me why, because it's gone throughout different coaches. I know you've looked at this. What can it be? Is it a physical characteristic? Is it the intelligence? That's the one of the things he always looks for in a ball player. How do you account for it? Yeah, it's it's a great it's a great topic. So um, I think there's a couple of answers, right? Number one, most of these guys were recruited and coached by Greg Schiano who Belichick has a lot of respect for. So a lot of these guys, the McCordys, uh, Sanu, you know, they played when Shiano was there and Rutgers was good, actually. So um, that's credit to them. I don't think there have been as many Rutgers guys the last few years. A lot of these guys are guys that were there from Shiano. And also when Steve Belichick, uh, Bill Belichick's son, was at Rutgers and was a manager helping out on the football team. Maybe he was a walk-on. I can't remember. But I think that they feel like because of Shiano and Steve Belichick, they know more about these guys. That's my guess. Um, but it is kind of fascinating. Now, I'll tell you this, Dave. I'm a little surprised by a second-round pick for Mohamed Sanu. A second-round pick for Mohamed Sanu with two years left on his deal, that sounds pretty rich until you consider the Patriots stink at second-round picks. And they really stink at drafting wide receivers. It's unbelievable how many bad second-round picks they've had and how many bad wide receiver picks they've had. Sunu was under contract for the next two years, very affordable, $3.7 million for the rest of this year, $6.5 million next year. I think that was the, the key for the Patriots is to have that flexibility of having Sanu for next year. Let me tell you one more thing, Dave. I want to get this on the record. 8.18 a.m. on Tuesday, Muhammad Sanu will throw a touchdown pass for the Patriots this year. I, I, I'm guaranteeing it. Oh, yeah. And by the way, between Edelman and Sanu now, the Patriots have the best throwing wide receivers in NFL history. The best pair of passing wide receivers in NFL history. It's crazy. It is incredible. I, I thought I was surprised, too, to hear a second-round pick, in all honesty, for most new guy that caught 66 balls, more than 800 yards, certainly makes this wide receiver core uh, a lot better because no one's sure what to expect right now from Josh Gordon in terms of the injury and even if he's healthy, how much he adds. I guess I thought they would make a move for Emmanuel Sanders, who certainly doesn't have – isn't, I don't think, as big and physical – as Mo Sanu, but I view him as a more talented player, a bigger playmaker that Tom Brady could take advantage of. But Adam Schefter uh, went on the Greg Hill Show on WEEI this morning and said he would not be surprised if the Patriots made another move before the deadline. So where could they add? Obviously, the position of need for the Patriots is the offensive line. But given that you just gave up a second-round pick, I think the asking price for a top-level offensive lineman is more than Bill Belichick is willing to give up. So where might they acquire, and how bad is that for everybody else in the NFL right now? Well, I think the the position that certainly jumps out, like you said, is offensive line, and the guy is Trent Williams. I don't think that the Redskins <sighs> are going to do it, 
But both the Browns and the Patriots, I think, desperately want Trent Williams. So I'd be very curious to see what the Redskins can get. Here's the issue, though, Dave. The Redskins are one of those few organizations that it's important enough to them to not set a precedent and to make a point that they won't trade Trent Williams this year. They might not. Because here's the thing. From a Redskins perspective, Trent Williams is under contract next year as well. So they can make their point, Dave, of, hey, we're not gonna let you, we're not gonna let you dictate getting out of here. You wanna you wanna sit out and try to go somewhere else? No. We're gonna hold fast. Because they already stink. They're already not going anywhere this year. There's really no value for the Redskins at this point of even winning football games for the rest of this season. So they can make their point, stand on their principle as it relates to Trent Williams and then still trade him in the offseason, Dave, before next year's draft. So whether it's the Browns or the Patriots, they don't really have anything unique to offer the Redskins now other than ponying up more draft compensation now than they would perhaps in March or April. Because from a Redskins standpoint, what difference does it make to them if they trade them now, they trade them in March or April? They're getting those draft picks for next year anyway, and they can prove their point. So the Redskins actually are in the driver's seat for multiple reasons. Number one is they're not in a rush to trade Trent Williams. And number two, I think they have multiple suitors, such as the Patriots and the Browns. I think it's offensive line, maybe tight end, although I don't know what tight ends would be available right now. That's another position potentially for the Patriots, but that's about it. Yeah, I would expect Trent Williams to get moved in the next 24 hours because you have to smell the desperation coming from Cleveland. They play the New England Patriots this week. Baker Mayfield has to be shaking in his cleats. He's already seeing ghosts. That guy's had happy feet and has been nervous in the pocket, and he hasn't faced anything like the New England Patriots. We'll talk about a couple of other guys that could get moved before the deadline. And I want to ask you, look, bottom line is the Patriots have beaten nobody. We'll talk about that in just a sec in terms of the upcoming schedule. Bound to get a lot tougher for New England. But first... It's a ZipRecruiter Tuesday. Dylan Miskowitz, my guy. He needed to hire a director of coffee for his organic coffee company, but he was having trouble finding qualified applicants. He switched to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates and you get them fast. Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter and said he was impressed by how quickly he had great candidates apply. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones. That's how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com enter. 
That's ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So the Patriots defense has scored 104 fantasy points. That is unbelievable. How good is that? That is QB6 for all you fantasy football fans. A dominant effort, but they really have played nobody, and it gets a lot harder ahead. Cleveland, not entirely sure what that means. But after that, it's at Baltimore by, at Philly, home for Dallas, at Houston. And then they take on Kansas City, the game we all have circled. Expect Patrick Mahomes to be back for that one. Do we truly know how good this Patriots team is? And once that offense begins to face some better defenses, will we get a much better idea of just how dominant a complete team they are? Right. I, I don't think they're going to go 16-0, and 0, Dave. I mean, they, they've got some tougher teams coming up here. I think they'll lose a game or two. But it almost reminds me of, you know, like a high school schedule or certain college schedules where they really only have to gear up and play their best for a couple of games. Because these other games, when they play the, the uh, Dolphins again, they obviously have already played the Jets twice. They'll have to play for the Bills. They'll have, to, they'll have to show up for the Eagles and some other teams. But they get a lot of almost weeks off, if you will, with this schedule. So they really only have a few games that they really have to play at a high level. My mm. guess is they'll lose one of them. I don't think they're dominant enough offensively to go 16-0. and But if they beat, yeah. if they win some of these games, they might go 16-0. and I mean, it's, it's crazy because... You look at them offensively, and they're really not very impressive. No. I mean, it's the worst offensive line they've had in a while, Dave. Their skill guys are not great. Yet, like you said, you know, you called it a Mike Tyson knockout. I actually felt like that opening drive was like um, almost more like Floyd May Floyd Mayweather. You know, it was oh, like the little every the play little was five yards. Yeah, it was like. It was like yeah. five yards, five yards, five yards, five yards, five yards, like death by a million paper cuts as opposed to a big knockout, you know, 75-yard touchdown. It's it's uh, it's really hard to do because you have one negative play, one penalty, and you're off schedule, but they just – they don't do those things. It's really – it's quite impressive how consistently efficient they are on the offensive side of the ball. All right, and finally, a question for you. As we approach the October 29 deadline, we heard Mosinu moved. I mentioned Emmanuel Sanders. I think he's out of Denver. Chris Harris could be on the market. Vic Beasley apparently on the market. Atlanta, $12.8 million number. Didn't even start last week for the Falcons. And how about Cam Newton? Some feel quietly he could be moved. What's the big blockbuster trade you think happens in the next week? I don't see that happening with Cam. Uh, that would be unbelievable, though. That, I mean, that would be one of the biggest yeah. in-season trades in a long time. Let me throw one out to you, Dave. What about Nick Foles? What about Nick Foles if you are like the Chicago yep. Bears? What about Nick Foles? I mean, you know, he, he's been in the Andy Reid-Doug Peterson system, which is what Matt Nagy is running in Chicago. He would clearly be an upgrade over Mitch Trubisky. He's under contract for several more years. And I got to tell you, I think the yeah. Jags would be open to it. 
because I think that they're kind of into Minshew now. I think they're kind of like, you know what? Why do we want to pay Foles $20 million a year when Minshew's maybe just as good? We're winning with Minshew. We're playing pretty good. Like, I think Foles could be the big blockbuster, but it makes it really tricky with Foles and Cam Newton that we don't really know their health status. That that makes it really right. tough. Nick Foles to Chicago would be interesting, would certainly make them better, but they've got to figure out the running game. And that was one of the more baffling things, and, and we don't have a whole lot of time to delve into it, but they were up 10-9 in that football game Sunday and then answered with nine straight passes. Matt Nagy can say he wants to establish the run, but he's not trying. I can't help but think, if all the storm clouds have gone away with Kareem Hunt, could they make a move for him? We know he is still an elite running back. And if the PR hit is not too bad, I don't understand why Cleveland needs him and Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb, top five or six back in this league. It's going to be a fascinating next week before the made for the NFL trade deadline tonight. Major League Baseball starts the fall classic. Is it the best ever World Series pitching matchup all the way down? It is incredible, the amount of talent on these two staffs, but it may come down to this question. Rest versus rust. What is more important? We'll ask Kevin Millar, the host of Intentional Talk from MLB Network, right after a quick break. Swung on and hit in the end of deep left. It is high. It is far. It is gone to win the series. Jose Altuve hit a two-run home run. The Astros win 6-4, and they capture this series four games to two. And the place is going absolutely bananas. And with that, the Astros in the World Series and the Yankees, first time they haven't reached a World Series in a decade in 100 years. How about Jose Altuve? Let's talk about the little man with Kevin Millar, the host of Intentional Talk on MLB Network. Catch them 5 o'clock Eastern time. Kev about to head out to Houston for the World Series. Good to see you, man. Dave Briggs, Ross Tucker, Jose Altuve, five foot six. Have you ever seen any player in Major League history make more out of less? No, no. You know what he does? He gives every kid hope in the world. This this guy, and I don't care. It's sad because no matter what, when you mention Jose Altuve, the first thing you say is, oh, man, it's a little guy. And you know what? That's okay. He embraces that. But at five foot six, it's what makes our game of baseball awesome. With Aaron Judge at six foot seven and Jose Altuve at five foot six and Randy Johnson is at six foot ten, you know anybody could play a sport, but at such a high level, what he does, and and I love every single comment or finishing statement about Jose Altuve, beyond his three batting titles and his MVP of the American League and his World Series rings and his five Silver Sluggers and his couple Gold Gloves and all of these accolades, they always end the statement as. He's a better person than he is player. And that goes a long way because of his calmness, 
and you can lead quietly. He's a quiet leader. He's not a vocal leader. He's a quiet leader. But what a guy, man. So here's my question, Kev. By the way, I appreciate you giving us a different angle today of the Taj Mahal. <laughs> I, I, I love that. I, I wanted to see. I, I had a buddy come over. I had a buddy come over the other night for the Eagles game. And he said, uh, hey, I saw your tweet about uh, Millar's Pillars. That was awesome. That video was awesome. Who has that? And this yeah. guy's got some dough. He's like, who has that many pillars in their house? I'm like, I don't know. Evidently, Kevin Millar does. Unbelievable. <laughs> so I love that you're giving us a different angle. Uh, Next time we do this, you're going to be on those stairs in the back left so we can get that angle, too. Time out. Unbelievable. Let me, give you guys the, let me give you guys Lake Austin. Ah. Okay, there's, that'll be the next angle. There's, there's Austin, Texas with zero miles an hour wind, blue skies. So the weather in Houston is going to be gorgeous, guys. We're only two hours and 22 minutes away by car. So I just wanted to get – so weather is not a factor even though we're inside today. So, Kev, I could look this up, but I mean, it's, it's public records. How much money did you make playing Major League Baseball? Uh, $20 million is what, what they make a year now. So that was 12 years. I, put, I spent $22 million. I made $20 million, so I've got minus $1,700 left in the checking account. <laughs> hey, but my question is, uh, my yeah. question uh, about Altuve is very simple. It, like, tell me how height helps and hurts you as a baseball player, both in the field and at, and at back. Because I would think, like, in my mind, shorter guy can be easier to be a little rocked up you have a smaller strike zone, probably easier when you're in the field to be quicker with your hands and feet to be able to turn to like, I don't see the negative of being short in baseball. Maybe I'm missing something. Yeah, no, it, it, similarities to like Darren Sproles or somebody small on the NFL, you know, on the NFL field, right? You got a guy that's five foot six, but he's shifty and moves run and you're powerful. So size really doesn't matter in all sports. I mean, you could dominate at any level, even in the NBA at some point, to, to some extent, because of the, if you're quicker and faster and a nice disher, baseball's similar. You know, to hit in baseball, which is cool, we always talk about, it's like kind of like when Dave goes and pays a bill. You know, you got gator arms, you know, sometimes you can't reach the pocket. Hitting's very <laughs> similar, okay? Hitting's very similar to where everything is tight and inside, and then you extend so really, when you got shorter arms, your good hitters are nice. You know, Barry Bonds, he was kind of all in here, right? He got tap, tap, and then boom. I think Jose Altuve, you got a strike zone that is tougher to, you know, tougher throw to, even though he hasn't seen a pitch he doesn't like. But with short arms, and he's fast, he's strong, he's powerful, his legs, and his, you know, his, his, his butt. You look at all the power hitters. They got that high butt, big, strong legs. Altuve is short. But he's strong, you know, and, and a lot of these guys, Alex Bregman, uh, Josh Donaldson, they're no bigger than five foot ten. Mookie Betts. We're in this this era of like small is, is good in baseball. And, we're you know, I mean, Dustin Pedroia's MVP, he's five foot seven. They all stopped growing at some point in ninth grade, but they've dominated at this level. And it's kind of fun to watch Trevor Story over there in Colorado. I mean, these guys are hitting thirty five to forty five home runs a year. And they're not very big, but they're strong and powerful. So Jose Altuve and being little, I think it's not that there's an advantage or disadvantage, but you do, you know, you got those short arms inside that strike zone when you got 98 trying to keep that bat inside to get the barrel to the ball. I think that's an advantage. 
Talking to Kevin Millar, the host of Intentional Talk, 5 o'clock Eastern Time on MLB Network. You clearly talk to my friends. You know how I am about paying a bill <laughs> at a dinner. Cheap son of a bitch. Yep, yep. Always <laughs> looking to save a buck. I'm busted. All right, so if, if being tall is not an advantage, how about being hot in a postseason series? It's that rust versus rust argument because Washington has not played a game now in a week, and that does not bode well. Only one of the last eight teams to sweep the LCS since 85 have gone on to win the World Series. It's a bad omen. How will it play into the series? I think time will tell, Dave. And, and to be honest with you, it's it's the biggest thing we talk about because you haven't faced live pitching. You could practice. You could work out. You can do all this stuff. But you know what? You haven't seen 98 miles an hour in probably, what, four or five days from this first pitch. So it happens a lot. We've seen it. I mean, back in the Tigers, I remember, I remember Detroit was a powerhouse. You had Miguel Cabrera and these big boys just got them sweeping somebody. I don't know if it was in the 2011, 12, and they went in there and got boat raced by the Rangers, I believe. And it happened because they sat there and swept and had to wait, you know, four or five extra days waiting for the next series to end. But I think in this situation, the Nationals are a hot team. The wild card teams are always a hotter team because they're playing must-win games. It, they're a very dangerous club. They're a, they're a plus 190 in Vegas for the odds, one of the highest odds of the World Series. But you only, you know, I got a buddy that asked me, like, why? I said, we're looking at three of the best matchups that we've seen probably in World Series. The, the first two days, we have the four best starters probably in baseball, right? Strasburg, Max Scherzer, you're looking at Garrett Cole and Verlander. You can't, mm -hmm. you can't make this up. So it's nice to see that. Then you go to Patrick Corbin and Zach Granke. What a great three-hole matchup. And I know the Nationals haven't announced that they're game three starter because they might you know, throw Corbin out of the bullpen a little bit first couple games and then do an Anibal Sanchez for a game three starter. We'll see how that plays out. But you know one thing, that you're going to get great starting pitching, and will the Nationals bats be able to hit and battle and scrape and grind a couple runs up Garrett Cole and Verlander to get a lead? Maybe. The problem is why they're underdogs is because their bullpen was 28th in the big leagues or 29th in the big leagues behind your Baltimore Orioles, who were worst. So they had like a 580 RA, I believe. Uh, they got better, and they, they got hot towards the end of the season, and they definitely went through this postseason with no issues. But that'll be a factor getting those last six outs. They were outstanding against the Cardinals. I think you mentioned 2012, I think, was the year, and it was a couple of pitchers that are in this series. Scherzer, Verlander, and Sanchez all pitched for Detroit. Yes. They swept. They went on to hit 159 in the World Series, and they were knocked out quickly. This is historic, though, to your point, for the top 10 pitchers by ERA, and this is the first time ever that five of the top 10 pitchers by strikeout are in the same series. Who has the better starting staff? Man, I'll tell you, it's hard. I mean, Garrett Cole's the best pitcher in the world right now. So you can go, if you're going right now, Garrett Cole's number one, Strasburg's number two, I'd put Verlander in the three-hole and Scherzer in the four-hole from the last two weeks, right? So you, you're looking at unhittable Garrett Cole, who hasn't lost, what, since August? So 25, 26, 27 starts. He hasn't lost a game. So he's the best. Strasburg in the postseason is probably one of the greatest statistical scenes that we've seen if you're doing stat-wise. And, and we've seen what he's done. He gave up three in L.A., finds a way to get through six, and they end up winning the game. I mean, he's just been dominating. And that was the question. Do you start him or Matt Scherzer? I really don't care. You could have gone Strasburg against Garrett Cole. They want Matt Scherzer against Garrett Cole. So what? Matt Scherzer's a bulldog and a stud. He's going to give you everything he has. So I, I, I would put it Cole, Strasburg, 
I put Verlander and Scherzer, and I, I think we're in, we're in for a great, uh, you know, pitchers duel when we were talking about the juice balls all year long. Now we haven't seen that in the postseason, which tells you what: good pitching stops good hitting. So all the pitchers that are giving up all these home runs and crying about how the ball is traveling out, go ahead and be better. Hit your hit your spots because you can see right here in the postseason we haven't had an issue. Kev, do you think it's fair to say that if the Astros had to go, if Altuve doesn't have that home run, and the Astros had to go game seven and Cole pitches, let's just assume they would have won that, do you think it's fair to say that that could be the difference in the series? Meaning if if Cole, now that the Astros have Cole for three games if they need him, versus if he had to pitch game seven against the Yankees, that that could have been the tilt for the World Series winner one way or the other? Yeah, you. I mean, you know, it's fun to talk about it because we talked about in Game Four when Verlander went to Tampa. You thought that was a must-win, and he didn't get. You know, he didn't get that W, so they had to put Garrett Cole in Game Five. And we were saying the same thing going in to face the Yankee series. So Yankees are better than the Nationals, and it worked out fine for the Yankees in the, in the Astros situation. I, I just think this team's good, man. I mean, the, let's be honest. I mean, the, 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 we can sit here and nitpick and figure out all these different scenarios and talk about bullpen. But when you're looking at this lineup of the Astros, who, by the way, grind you to death, they don't strike out much in, a, in an era where everybody doesn't care if they strike out. I mean, you know, Aaron Judge you know, struck, is on pace for 162-game season to strike out 220 times a year. That's just the norm. I mean, I used to say, I remember when I played, Rossi, I, if I struck out 100-plus times, I was pissed off. I was pissed off. When an ounce and out, a pop-up to the second base or a strikeout is the same, it ain't. I always took it like he got me. You know what I'm saying? I'll take a, I'll take a ground ball to the pitcher before he strikes me out because that's, you know, but this day and age, they don't care. But the Astros lineup, they battle you. They remind me of back in the day. And they remember like, you know, Posada, Bernie Williams, you just get up there, Jambi. It was grinding at bats when you face the Yankees. So everybody talked about how long the games were Red Sox and Yankees. Oh my God, four hours. Yeah. Cause it seemed like every at bat won eight to 10 pitches. So you look at a guy like Michael Brantley, he gets Oh two. You've already looked up, Blink your eye, it's 3-2 with two foul balls, so he's on pitch number nine. That's what they do, and that's what makes them great. All right, Kev, I don't really care about the Nationals or the Astros. I don't have a rooting interest. Which team should I and people like me root for and why? Well, it depends on if you want the legacy of the Astros trying to develop this this scene like the Giants did in 2010, 2012, 2014, they were World Series champions. So you, you, you look up like, that's a dynasty. I don't care who you are. You can win three World Series rings in five years. That's what the Astros are trying to do. They're built to win for a long time. I think they've done a great, you know, great job with this organization, building this farm system up, been adding who they need, and they're not afraid. So Lunau and all these boys, they deserve a lot of credit. Jim Crane deserves a lot of credit as the owner. I think the Astros would be a fun team to root for because – you don't see this often. To get to the World Series is tough. To win the World Series is tougher. Dodgers have been there the last few years and haven't sniffed the World Series as far as the W. Uh, Astros are back here again, and they're strong, and they're tough, and you know, they're a team to root for. But if you're, if you're rooting for first time in history, and here, here come the Washington Nationals, the Montreal and the Washington Nationals, you know, same organization, kind of like the Colts and the Baltimore Colts. It kind of gets weird, if that makes sense. So it's going to be a great series. Flip a coin right there, Rossi, and I'd, I'd root for the I'd root for the Astros. Get off the damn fence. We know you got to go. What's your prediction? Predictions. I think Astros are going to do it in six. I think you'll see the Nationals uh, grind and battle. Their starting pitch is too good, but I think it goes back to Houston. And Houston wins it here, game six.
Kevin Millar on record. Houston wins it in six. I want to see something bring the divided city of Washington, D.C. together. Go Nats. Plus, they got the baby shark thing with Para, which right. makes me happy. I love that shit, man. That is the best new tradition in sports. Kevin Millar, enjoy the World Series. We'll talk to you later in the week. Catch him 5 o'clock Eastern time on MLB Network Intentional Talk. Thanks, Kev. Thanks, boys. All right, so he talked about their Jose Altuve. He said no one's ever done it for a short guy quite like the 5'6 Altuve. On the heels of Dustin Pedroia somewhat, who Kevin Millar played with there in Boston, little guy that could flat out mash it. On the heels of that, it made me think, who is the greatest, who is the all-Altuve team all time? The shortest, the best of the slightest, if you will. Jose Altuve, obviously, on my starting five. Who else is on my starting five? It's a pretty great list. Spud Webb, five foot seven, of course, Atlanta Hawks, great. Won a slam dunk contest at five foot seven. Sorry, Muggsy Bogues, you don't make the cut at five foot three, but certainly honorable mention. Lionel Messi, five foot seven, and arguably the greatest soccer player of all time. He has won six different Player of the Year awards. Some feel he is the GOAT. Barry Sanders, to me, the GOAT. Running back, the best of all time to me. 15,000 yards rushing, league MVP, five foot eight. But the all-time greatest short athlete you're probably going to hate, Ross, Simone Biles, four foot eight, 25 world championship medals, 19 of them gold. She's my greatest short athlete of all time. Your thoughts? No, I, I don't. I don't. I don't hate that. I think you should have found a way to get Darren Sproles in there, but you had Barry Sanders, yeah. which I understand. I, I here's what I would say. To me, by far the most impressive is Spud Webb, and I would even go to Muggsy Bogues as well. All of the other people that you named, right? Guys like Altuve or Barry Sanders or Simone Biles, their height is not a detriment in their sports. If anything, you could argue it helps a running back to be lower to the ground, to mm. be able to hide behind their offensive lineman, that center of gravity like a Barry Sanders. You can argue whether it's Altuve or Pedroia or whoever about being short, helping you in baseball with the strike zone, or at least not hurting you. I feel like everybody in gymnastics like Simone Biles is very short. Spud yes. Webb, that's crazy. Like Spud Webb and Muggsy Bogues in a sport where height is such an asset and lack of it such a detriment. What those guys is unbelievable. I'll tell you what, I hate Spud Webb, Dave. You know why? I'm six four and a half. I've never been able to dunk a basketball. Never. Is that right? Ever. In high school, you know, by the time I got six four. I was like 235, 240 pounds and just not explosive enough. And I have short arms and small hands. So not explosive enough with that much weight to get up there, overcompensate for my short arms and not being able to palm a ball that well. You know, the best, the closest I ever got to dunking was yeah. like my senior year of college. I was 300 pounds. But I had trained so much with all the hang cleans and power cleans. I was so explosive that I could jump up and grab the rim with two hands. I could dunk a tennis ball. 
Like that was when I was 300 pounds. And I remember thinking, you know what? When I'm done playing in the NFL, when I'm done with football and I drop 50, 60 pounds, I'm going to yeah. be able to throw it down. I am going to be able to dunk. It's going to be sweet. Yeah. Well, two torn right MCLs and a back ah. surgery later, I won't even jump an inch. I, I, <laughs> I don't jump. I refuse to jump. Jumping is bad for my body. So Spud Webb makes me feel bad about myself and reminds me that I could never dunk even though I think I was measured at usually like six, four and five eights, I should have been able to dunk at some point. Yeah. I don't have many regrets, Dave, but as much as I loved high school basketball and draining threes, winking at the cheerleaders in the stands at the foul lines, like loved it, love stuff like that. I would have been downright up now if I could just have dunked. <laughs> oh my gosh. If I could just have dunked in high school basketball, I just wanted to dunk a couple times maybe flex off of it a little bit, maybe a couple more winks both sides. In high school basketball, they could actually see the face. They could, they could see the moneymaker. You know what I mean? Like, oh, unbelievable. Because you dunked it. Hold on, hold on. So, so you would have been that much more confident. You, you made it sound as if you're really lacking for confidence, and being able to dunk would have really taken you over the top. Is that what you're telling me, mister? I played in the NFL and went to, Stam and went to Princeton. Is that no, it? I already was confident. It would have allowed me, Dave, to be even more obnoxious on the court. It would have it would have escalated ah. my on-court obnoxious meter if I could dunk in high school basketball. I remember I remember we played a guy, uh, his name's yeah. Joey Linderman. He's six nine and a half. He played at Reading Central Catholic. He was really good. He went to Drexel. He was the freshman of the year in that conference, whatever that Northeast 10 or whatever it is. I remember telling him, I said, Hey, Joey, I really don't. He was a year older than me. Told him this two years in a row, Dave, 10th grade and 11th grade. I said, Joey, I really don't care how many points you have, but if you try to dunk, I'm going to put you in the wall. Like it was like NASCAR. <laughs> if you try to dunk, I'm going to put you in the wall. And he, and dude, he, 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 he went like this, Dave. I think he kind of like smiled and then he could tell, like, he smiled and, like, laughed. Then he could tell I was serious. And <laughs> I I shit you not, okay? I shit you not. The one year we're playing, I get in foul trouble, so they take me off of him. Right, right. The very next time down the court, they call play. Dude sets a back pick for him, alley-oop, and he throws it down two-handed <laughs> on the alley-oop. No, it wasn't. I wasn't covering oh. him. I think I had fouled out or I was covering somebody else. Oh, my gosh. Now, could you ever dunk? Did you play high school basketball? I did play high school basketball. And unfortunately, my shortcoming was these tiny little midget circuits freakish hands. I mean, I could be in a circus. I could be – they're like George Costanza's hands. Give me a like high five. hand model. Give me a high Dude, five. It, it's pathetic, man. Uh, uh, oh, no, where are we at? Back it up. 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 It's hard to gauge. You could palm my hand. It, it is pathetic. So I always had the leaping ability, but I needed a small ball. I needed. I could dunk a girl's ball, which did not do anything for my ego, you know. And I couldn't two hand slam. I couldn't get that high enough. I could only dunk a girl's ball. So I'm with you. And I thought, okay, may, maybe I can do it now. And I was out there with my son. I can't even touch the rim now, man. I, I don't know if it's the whoa, back whoa, surgery. Whoa, whoa, or... whoa, 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 whoa. 
What are you doing jumping after two back surgeries? I just wanted to see don't if I could like, dunk a tennis ball. Oh. No, don't jump. That is the worst. The compression for your back. Don't do that, dude. I'm serious. <laughs> I care about your back. Don't do I, that. Don't that jump. That was it was not a good moment. Were you a one ego. foot jumper or a two foot jumper? I was a one foot jumper. You? Uh two foot. Two foot jumper. Yeah, Boy, I was I better. Was... I was better if I I was better if I went up gathered myself and went up off two feet and grabbed the rim like that. If I just tried oh. to run and go off of one foot, not as good. I, I needed both my legs to almost like a hang clean. Like when you're trying to lift, like boom, you know, this is one of the best things by the way, about this show, nobody listening or watching had any idea what was coming to them. Those last 10 minutes, you didn't know Neither where we were going with that. You didn't know <laughs> I was going to get mad at, at spud web. I mean, I didn't even know Dave was going to bring up spud web. I didn't even know we were doing that. He says Spud Webb. It reminds me of the dunk contest where Spud Webb would dunk all the time. And it reminds me that, you know what? That guy made me feel bad about myself because I was way taller and I couldn't dunk. So screw Spud Webb, and I wish I could have dunked. And that's the end of the story. <laughs> well, you must be mad at Zion Williamson. As big as that dude is to be that athletic, I think we can all be mad at him. And now everyone is bummed out as far as the NBA fans go because Zion Williamson out. Six to eight weeks he was supposed to play tonight. After a short break, we'll talk about the NBA tipping off tonight. And also that NBA versus China controversy continues. And Michael Jordan making a few headlines as well. Never willing to give a lot of credit to the next generation of ball players. You gotta love the edge from MJ. We'll talk about the NBA opening up tonight after a quick break. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t -Mobile .com. 